and during some of the toughest times, I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time, even to this moment, uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I spray-painted my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is your transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are gonna have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life. Now, let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Intentional Performers Podcast. I am Brian Levinson. Excited to have you with us today for another great episode. But before we get to today's guest, I'd like to share a bit about myself. So I work as an executive coach and a mental performance coach. From a mental performance coaching standpoint, I'm so fortunate that I get to work with all kinds of sports teams, and that's actually what led us to today's guest, which we will get to shortly. And I also founded a company called Strong Skills. And at Strong Skills, our team is on a mission to change how the world thinks about soft skills. Today's guest is going to talk about a lot of these skills in our conversation. So at Strong Skills, we believe that labeling competencies like leadership, teamwork, and communication as soft actually devalues and minimizes the importance of these skills. And one of the strong skills that we teach is what we call shift your mind. And the teachings come from my book, which came out last October. If you enjoy today's conversation or any of our past guests, then I know you'll love the book. You can head over to Amazon or anywhere that books are sold to purchase it. And you can listen to the audiobook via Audible. Thanks to all of you who have already purchased the book, and I've been overwhelmed by the response the book has gotten thus far. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Additionally, I run an accelerator program which involves one-on-one coaching from myself, and it's limited to a small amount of people, and I open up spots every six months. So the program is designed for that one-on-one experience, and they're mostly executives, but we also have performers in sport and performers in business who are interested in growing, learning, and figuring out how they can lead and perform better. And I would love to hear from you if you're interested in a program like this. You can email me, brian at strongskills.co. That's brian at strongskills.co. Thanks to all of you who already have reached out to me with your interest, and we're always looking for more amazing people to work with. Lastly, if you enjoyed today's episode or any of our previous conversations, we'd love it if you went over to iTunes and wrote us a review. It really helps us expand our reach. And thanks to all of you who have already done so. And let's continue to share these intentional performers with the world. Now to today's guest. Jay Wright has become an absolute mainstay in the world of college basketball. He was recently inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame. He's won two national championships, one in 2016 and one in 2018. He took a team to the Final Four in 2009. He's really become one of the all-time greats when it comes to college basketball. He's led Villanova, the team that he coaches, to six Big East Conference championships and 14 NCAA tournaments. And so there's no question that the resume is just remarkable. And he is coaching at the highest level in the game when it comes to college basketball. And he's created a program that consistently, year after year, competes and contends for a national championship. But this conversation is about so much more than that. This is a conversation about the culture that Jay has created in his 20 years at Villanova and that he's led and how he holds himself and his staff accountable to that culture 
just like he holds the players accountable. This is about consistency. This is about habit. And this is about mindset. So we're going to dive into leadership. We're going to talk about what it means to be a leader in his program, what it looks like over the last 20 years and some of the things that he's noticed from some of the best leaders he's coached. We're going to talk about things beyond basketball. There's an amazing nonprofit that both of us are connected to called Peace Players. And both Jay separately have gone to Israel to see the power of basketball and how basketball can help people that are intense and rugged environments and often in hatred-filled environments, learn to love each other, learn to see each other as people. So hopefully this conversation will resonate with you as it did for me. And I'm so grateful for Jay for giving us his much, much valued time. So without further ado, I'm so excited to present to you Coach Jay Wright. Coach, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Big shout out to Glenn Ferrello for connecting us. Uh, <laughs> I got to meet Glenn, gosh, in 2011, so 10 years ago, and I hit the jackpot. I just reached out to a bunch of high school coaches in the D.C. area, and I found Glenn. And, and Glenn and I have become good friends and excited for him becoming a dad and, and all that good stuff. And one of the things that connects the two of us via Glenn is a young man named Brandon Slater. And I met Brandon when he was a freshman at Paul the sixth. And I actually met you in 2018 as Brandon was becoming a freshman at Villanova and our paths crossed at an event for peace players. And we were at the players tribune in New York city. And I usually leave people alone at events <laughs> and stick to the people I know, but I had to go up to you and tell you how fortunate you were to have this young man come to Villanova. And I want to start with Peace Players and Brandon, and then we'll see where this goes. So first on Brandon, what I told you then was, I have no idea how good he's going to be for you, but I'll tell you, you're getting an exceptional young man. To this day, I've worked with professional athletes, college athletes, CEOs, executives. Brandon Slater at 16 and 17 years old is one of the best leaders I've ever been around. Um, so I'm curious what it's been like for you coaching him the last three years. He's going to be a senior this year and what Brandon has been like to coach and, and what you've observed uh, being around him as he becomes more of an adult. Well, it's, it's interesting, Brian. And, and at first, it's good to be with you, buddy. And uh, like I said, our, our good friend, Glenn Farello, he uh, never asked for anything. So uh, he, he told me, this, this is one you, you got to do. This guy's great dude, great friend. So I said, all right, man, if you're asking, it's got to be, he's got to be a good guy. And uh, we'll see. We got time. It, it might <laughs> <not happen. laughs> you, you know, but I do, you know, I do remember um, talking about Brandon and, 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 you know, at that time, and you're absolutely right on. It's interesting. We're talking about him now as he is uh, starting his, his junior year or actually really his senior year, but he has another year to play. And um, he, his character from the start was impeccable. And, and you, we knew right away that we, we have a special kid. Um, his transition to college wasn't easy, you know, for him basketball wise. And, and a lot of it's just because he was, um, you know, a gangly kid, that in, in high school could get away with being longer and, and, and playing with other great players. And he just had to get stronger. He did, just body had to fill out and, and get a little tougher. And it's, as we talk now, you know, he's coming out of it. He's coming out of an NCAA tournament where, um, I mean, I really believe he had it going in the second half of our game against Baylor. He hurt his ankle. He went out for – we were up when he got hurt. He went out of the game. They went on a 13-4 to run. Uh, we eventually lost the game. Now, they were a great team, but we, we really missed him. And um, he he's now starting the point in his career where he is becoming a leader on our team and, and is going to be a great leader. And he's really starting to come into his own as a player. So um, it's really uh, – a tribute to his character and his intelligence and maturity to know, you know what, everybody has a different path. I came in, you know, thin and, you know, not as physically ready to play. And it just took me some time and, and not 
to get frustrated or, or not to quit on it. And it's pretty cool to see the young man he is now. That we expect him to have a big year this year. When we watch your team play, you see these leaders. And I remember watching the, the all-guard team with Randy Foy and Alan Ray and Lowry off the bench and, and those guard teams. But you watch Randy Foy, and I actually watched Randy Foy work out for an NBA team um, and watched him go against Rajon Rondo in a workout. And Rajon Rondo, <laughs> I mean, he put Randy through the ringer defensively, <laughs> um, but Randy just stuck with it, kept with it. It was a tough workout for Randy athletically, but watching Randy's leadership and character and intangibles, you could see it. And now I see, what is it, 12 years later with, with Brandon, not saying that they're the same type of player, but to see the character of some of the guys that you've had through those years. Um, talk about leadership. What do you look for in leadership? How do you define it? How do you think about it, especially from a player's perspective? Well, first, you, know, you mentioned a great one in Randy Foy, and, and Randy was our really our first leader in, in, in our tenure at Villanova. Um, and in Randy's junior year, he, he really kind of took the team on, on his shoulders and, and really embodied what we were trying to teach all the young guys. He was our first recruiting class and, and still goes down with all of the guys of that era. You can ask Kyle Lowry, Mike Nardi, Alan Ray, Dwayne Anderson who's on our staff. Any of the guys that play with Randy, everybody looks up to Randy as one of the great leaders of all time in our program. And um, the original leader in, in our tenure that everybody um, points to. And, um, and I think Brandon has a different path, but I think Brandon has the same qualities that Randy did and or and has um and randy's still a leader of our alumni you know um and and to answer your question about leadership it's um we we try to teach it we really do we, we try to to teach the guys and some guys have it naturally um that you gotta you you, you gotta believe that being a part of something bigger than yourself and, and thinking about others and thinking about how your actions impact others, you have to believe that that's actually going to make you the best version of yourself. You got you to gotta believe it. Like we can say it to you, but those guys, those kind of people believe that, you know, for example, Randy Foy, when he was, a, um, when he was a junior, Kyle Lowry came in as a freshman and Kyle Lowry was a handful and Randy's trying to make his own name. And, and, and I said to Randy, like, you, you got to help me get this kid under control. Like, cause he, he's good. He could help us, but he's wild. And, you know, he'll listen to me when he's with me, but when he's not with me, I don't know what he's going to do. And Randy spent a lot of time mentoring Kyle Lowry. And if you ask Kyle Lowry to this day, um, you know, who really helped him at Villanova, he'll, he'll always say Randy Foy is the guy who mentored me. And uh, while Randy was doing that, Randy also became Big East Player of the Year and the seventh pick in the draft. Like he didn't, you know, he didn't think about, well, let me just take care of myself, you know. And I think Brandon Slater is the same kind of guy um, that you realize um, just thinking about yourself and only being into your journey is is actually. Um, small thinking and it actually constricts you from from being your best certain guys get that on their own certain guys do it naturally certain guys can be taught that and unfortunately some guys just very few they never get that yeah i think the combination of selfishness and selflessness and how do you take care of yourself do what you need to do but then serve something bigger than yourself and success being really about others and sharing and Certainly Glenn at Paul the Six talks about sharing the game, which is such a great phrase that he uses with his guys. Um, you mentioned Kyle Lowry. I'm curious. I'm a, a father. I've got two kids, a five and a half year old and a four and a half year old. I know you've got three kids. So you're ahead of me on this journey. And so when I have people on the podcast, I always want to learn because I have no idea what I'm doing. And, <laughs> and when I heard you talk about Kyle in previous interviews, you used the word defiance. 
And you said he was just a defiant guy. And I know you've had other players along your journey that have been defiant. I got a four and a half year old defiant girl. <laughs> she is fierce and she's independent and she's got a big personality. And I hope she grows up to be a type of person like Kyle Lowry, right? I hope she grows up to impact the world in a positive way, but I don't know how to deal with four and a half year old defiance. So I'm curious for you, part of being a college coach is dealing with teenagers and 20 somethings that are defiant. How have you figured out how to manage or coach or develop people that might be defiant? Yeah, it's, it's interesting, right? And I, I don't know if, you know, when my kids were that age, if I, if I had all the answers either, I don't know if I still do, but you, you, you're, you're trying your best. You have some, some, some basic core values, you know, like we just talked about, you know, about thinking about others and, um, and living with others and giving to others, thinking about how your actions impact others, right? Um, so you have some core values. And one of the things with Kyle and, and, I, and one of my sons was like this too, is sometimes people are defiant, you know, for different reasons, you know, sometimes it's just pure competitiveness, you know, and I know my son, when he was younger, when the, you're talking about my one son was that way. And I could just tell it was just competitiveness, but when, when he wasn't in a competitive situation, just try to look at, all right, what, what is, what's, what's really at their core? You know, is he a good guy? Does he have empathy? Is he a good person? And does that defiance just come out when he's being competitive? You know, that was, uh, you know, I said, tell my wife that I said, say like, look, he's driving us crazy right now, but when he gets older, he's going to get this on the, this is going to be a good quality. He has, you know, he's a, He's a minor league baseball pitcher right now. You know, I, I said, it's going to serve him well. It's going to drive us crazy right now while he's young, you know, but it's, it's going to serve him well. And I always felt the same about Kyle Lowry that I, I would look at, all right, where, where is his heart and soul? You know, is, does he have good intentions? Um, and, and, and his was competitiveness and survival. Like, you know, he grew up in North Philly, real tough area really didn't have anything and he had to just survive but when he was calmed down and you could talk to him you could tell he had a good heart good soul and he was intelligent so then you got to be a little bit patient with the defiance and understand that they're not they're not re really defying you they're they're competing at that situation and sometimes that competitiveness is control with you you know, and, um, and, and you, you just have to be patient and not judge them on that. Um, that's easily said sometimes, especially with your kids, because they drive you crazy. But you, you got to, you just always got to try to get back to that point. Well, if my parents listen to this, they'll laugh and say, I was the defiant one. I'm one of three boys <laughs> and I was middle child. And maybe there's something there, but. Um, I just said that. I just said that to Kyle just yesterday. He was telling me about his youngest one. I said, hey, you deserve it, man. <laughs> exactly what you did to your mom and your grandmother. Exactly. And you turned out okay. So he'll be fine. Yeah. And of course, my daughter's not like that when she's around her grandparents. It's just the parents. Yeah. So they're paying us back. You mentioned survival. And, and I want to go back to peace players real quick because we both, we went on trips to Israel, but at different times. So you were on, I think the year before me and I've gone twice since then. And Oh man, like what an amazing experience. Every time I go with peace players, uh, I'm just honored to be in their presence. And I know you got to know Toot and Duha and these incredible human beings. And actually for the peace players event that we were both at together as a large group of people before that event, we hosted 10 of the girls in our house and had 10 of them sleep over, um, in our house and be around our kids. It was just a remarkable experience. I'd love to hear from you going to Israel. Look, we're, we're recording this during a time when Israel is dealing with conflict um, as they often are, but, but certainly they're in the news. Uh, what was your experience like going to Israel and, and seeing peace players? And I'd love for you to just shed some light on that. Well, first of all, the, the, as, as you know, Brian, but you, you know what Brendan does, um, Brendan Tui with pre, uh, peace players is tries to um, find places in the world where there's conflict and through basketball and, and, and well the way we 
archer it was basketball they do other sports but through basketball bring young people of the two conflicting sides bring those people together through basketball with the hope that they understand each other's humanity and then that generation over time um you know it was obviously in, in israel um the arabs and the jews you know bring them together so that when they become the adults and the leaders they have a different perspective uh, of one another and it's a brilliant concept and it works you know as, as you mentioned the girls um some arab girls some israeli girls and and literally um played on the same basketball team together in in in, in a national league and um and then at times you know their people were at war with each other and they were calling each other to during bombing to make sure that the other is okay. You know, um, and then you think about when those two girls get older and, and hopefully are in leadership roles in their communities, there's gonna be a different perspective. Um, so that, that, that Peace Players program in itself is just incredible. And actually the year my wife, my son and my daughter and I went, Brett Brown and his daughter came with us um, it was of all the trips I've made in anywhere in the world, it was the most impactful emotionally of, of anywhere I've ever been in the world. Uh, uh, we, we went to the West bank. We went to Ramallah just to see that you, you don't see that on the news that like you don't get to meet those people, see them up close, you know, get to see the Israelis that live in Jerusalem and are, are, are right next to it. Um, and, and just hear people's perspectives, you know, and and, um, and 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 live their life with them, and see how beautiful Israel is. I mean, the weather is beautiful. The and and um, uh, Tel Aviv, you know, what a, what a great metropolitan area that is, and what a vibrant uh, community. I, I it was it was one of my and it turns out uh, I love that food better than anywhere, which I didn't know until I got there. So the whole thing was just, it was an incredible experience. And um, it just, it breaks my heart now when I watch this, what's going on TV. Cause I, I literally know people on both sides now. And, and I, and I just know that there's good people that don't want any of that going on, but politically it's, it's a very difficult situation. Yeah, Peace Players uses this mantra to have people see each other as people. And I think it's just a universal mantra that we should all embrace. And um, to transition here a little bit, I was working with an NBA player yesterday and I was talking to him about the different cultures on his, on his team and how there's people now from all over the world. You look at the NBA rosters, the cultures are so diverse. Yeah. So we had some conversations about that. As you're building culture, and I know you're so intentional about culture, there are a few words and phrases that I know you use over and over again with your team. And so I'd love to just play with these words and these phrases and really understand why you've chosen these and how they impact your culture. And the first one that's obvious that you probably talk about all the time is attitude. And you just hear it every time you're mic'd up every time you guys, you just hear it everywhere. I know you wear wristbands that say attitude. Um, talk about attitude and how you define it, how you think about it. You wrote a book called Attitude uh, and how that impacts the culture at Villanova. You know, I, I really believe in it, Bri. And in, in, um, the fact that, um, you know, we're, we're, we're put here on this earth and we all have our religious beliefs, but um, we, we really don't have control of, of our lives. You know, we, we do the best we can, but I, you know, I believe that, you know, God's got a plan for all of us and, and we do the best we can. Um, and so we don't control a lot of the things that happen to us. So, um, you know, if it's a simple thing, like to say my, our goal is to win a championship this year, to me, you know, you could, you can do everything you're supposed to do and work as hard and you have a couple top players get hurt. You don't win a championship. Does that mean, you know, those six months of your life were a waste because you didn't win a championship? No, you, you didn't have control of those things happening. 
Um, but but if you approach each one of those days without a couple of your great players with a great attitude and gave your best effort, that, that that's a hell of an accomplishment and, and just should be just as uh, noteworthy to you as as a competitor as winning a championship. You know, so we we try to teach the guys that you know on the basketball court you don't have control. Like you you can make a great pass, your teammate might drop it. It's it's not your fault, but you do control on the next play. How do you respond? Do you say to your teammate, hey, don't worry about it. Uh, we'll, we'll get we'll get it next time. Let's get let's get a stop on the next play. Do you do that? Do you consciously say, I'm gonna control my attitude on the next play? And then do you take that into life? You know, you you have a bad day, you you fail a test, your girlfriend breaks up with you. Do you come do you sulk and feel sorry for yourself? Do you blame somebody else? Or do you come back the next day and say, hey, I'm going to start this day with a great attitude. I'm going to, I'm going to build. I'm going to work harder for my next test. And then take that into everything in life when things happen with your family. You know, um, it's, the, it's, it's the most important characteristic you can have. Not being smart, not being good looking, not being fast, strong. It's have a great attitude. And you do have control of that. It's so interesting as I hear you talk. I think about 10 years ago, if we were having this conversation, what would change? 2011, 2012, I think you all were 13 and 19. 2009, you go to a Final Four. I remember being in Las Vegas, I think, for the NCAA tournament. I went to Syracuse. Uh, don't hold that against me. Um, but I went to Syracuse, and I'm watching the games in Vegas with everybody. And I remember this Villanova. These Villanova fans are like, they're like, we, we get rid of Jay. <laughs> get, get rid of them. I mean, and, and so when I hear you talk about attitude, I'm curious about your identity and how you think about yourself, because yes, today, all right, two, two national championships. You had the final four in 2009. You're just inducted into the hall of fame. I'd say your legacy is going to be pretty good from a basketball standpoint, but how do you think about your identity? If someone asks you, Hey Jay, who are you? How do you answer that? Yeah, great, great question. It's a challenge that we all have. I, I, you know, I talk to our players about this all the time. It's, we get so much attention and adulation because of what we do on the court. <clears throat> and, and we get that, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of what we do. We put ourselves out there, but really how we define ourselves is important. And, and how we get to define ourselves is uh, what kind of person are we, you know, what kind of father, what kind of husband, um, what kind of son, brother, um, that that's really how we, we have to define ourselves. And as I said to you, and, and what type of attitude do we approach each day with? And what type of effort do we put into each day? If we know we're giving our best effort every day, and we know we got a positive attitude, we're treating pre people right, we're thinking about others, and, and we're doing the best we can, we, we got to live with those results, you know? And, um, and, and, you know, when you do accomplish some, some things, um, it can't change that. It, it can't change still you got to be the best husband, the best father you can be. You still got to have a positive attitude. You still got to be humble. The, the other one is humble and hungry. That's the other wristband that, that we wear. And that's real important too, because when you do have some good, some success, you, you got to remain humble and, and understand that, that, you know, that's not all your control either. Like you, you put good effort in there, but there's a lot of things that happen. A lot of people that are happy. That's part of God's plan too. So you got to be humble about that, but still be hungry to keep giving great effort every day and keep having a positive attitude every day. And being in the DC area, I got to see a lot of your staff come through Paula six and be recruiting guys. I know you had recruited guys from other places in DC. Um, and the one thing I would hear a lot of in the gym when I've talked to basketball guys is they talk about, Father Rob and the impact Father Rob has on your team and Jim Brennan over the years as well. Can you talk about those two people and how they've impacted your culture and impacted yourself as well? Yeah, man. Um, not too many people give me an opportunity to talk about those guys. Jim Brennan was our team psychologist for like 17 or 18 years. I, and I, he retired um, from our job because he was driving from Allentown every day. Um, but he's still a professor at Lehigh. Um, and I miss him. Um, and, and Father Rob is our team chaplain. And uh, exactly what I talked to you about, Jim Brennan, Dr. Brennan was kind of our um, compass on these things I'm talking to you about. Um, 
humility, hunger to get better, attitude. And he was always kind of checking. He knew the, the mental aspect of it. He was always checking, are we walking the walk? You know, we talk about like watching a practice and, and, and just saying, you know, like you, you got mad at Brandon Slater today because you're frustrated and you yelled at him and, and he, he was hurt. So what, what were you yelling? You were frustrated because he wasn't in his defensive stance. So did you get the desired result from yelling that you, you wanted it? And of course, no, you know, you just, you just scared him a little bit, but that's not going to help him stay in his defensive stance any, anymore. You know, always checking on me that way. Father Rob, you know, before every game gives us a, reads, a, does a Bible reading, gives us a homily. And it's always, you know, you're amped up on game day. And his homily is always about, you know, what are we doing for each other as human beings? What's really important in life? And it always kind of grounds us to like, or, you know, no matter how big this game is, and we all think it's big, what's real is, and again, stable is what kind of men are we? What kind of husbands are we? What kind of fathers are we? What kind of teammates are we? And it always brings us to a level ground. I always feel like, um, and he's always there individually for each guy as, as Jim Brennan is, but we, we all get what we're trying to do here. The, the real goal here is for each young man to be the best student he can be, the best player he can be, and then and most importantly, grow into the best man he can be so that when he leaves us, he's a positive impact on his community, his family, and he feels good about himself, not based on what kind of player he is, what kind of man he is what kind of teammate, what kind of husband, father, et cetera. You mentioned values earlier and you mentioned the goal. We don't focus on the national championship. We, we, we really focus on values. And I think a lot of people get lost in that. And there's nothing wrong with setting goals. Look, you're at Villanova. You should be competing for a national championship at this point. Guys come to Villanova to probably compete for a national championship. I think every division one basketball team and program should be competing for a national championship. It's sports. Yeah. But if you focus on the values that allows you a better opportunity to get the goals and the vision and the dreams that you want. And I think a lot of times people get so lost on the outcome that they don't ground themselves in their values. And from 18 to 23, I know for me, my values started to change because what my parents' values are, I love my parents, but I'm my own person. I develop my own way of thinking. A lot of it is similar, but some of it's different and that's okay. And so I love just thinking about values and goals. And it's something that I work on a lot with my clients and the teams I work with is let's establish values and let those drive our process rather than our goals driving our process. You mentioned something that is really interesting and in, in watching you over the years, you're emotional. You are not someone who sits there stoic other than when Chris Jenkins makes a shot and you yell, you know, the, the video of you saying bang and just cool, calm and collected. But all right, that's they got you there as cool, calm and collected. But I watch you plenty like you're animated um, and you have emotion and you're not afraid to show emotion and you're not always Mr. Positive, I think your teams play with a lot of energy and positivity and that at positive attitude, but you are open about, yeah, I'll yell at a kid. Yeah, I'll, I'll confront them. I'll challenge them. For you, how do you make sure that your emotion is helpful and not harmful? Well, you're, ab you're absolutely right about that, Brian. And, and um, you know, and I, I, I tell all the guys, you know, and we talk about this, you know, that I'm, I'm emotional and passionate in the game. And, um, and, I, and, I, and I want us to do our best. And I, it's, it's what you're talking about, goals, you know. If you put anybody that's competitive and, and you know, we try to re recruit competitive guys, if you put them in competitive, I don't care if you, if you put them in a video game, they're going to try to win the video game. If you put them in a practice drill, they're going to win the practice drill. So to try to, to have to talk about winning the game, it's, it's a waste of time. They're gonna, you put them in anything, they're going to want to win. It's really like, how do we play? How do we live? What, what are our, what standards do we hold ourselves to when we play the game? And, and I tell them during the games, like that's, that's my job is to hold us to that standard. And, um, and sometimes, and I tell them, sometimes I get over emotional. Like I, you know, one of the things I, I did learn years ago is after the game, 
not to talk to the team after the game, not analyze the game because I'm emotional still. And a lot, and, and earlier in my career, I would do that and get on somebody and they go watch the film and it wasn't their fault. And they're respectful enough. They don't say anything, but the damage was already done. So now I, I don't do that. But sometimes if I do get on a guy during a game, I might say at halftime or I might yell, hey, I'm sorry. I got on you about that. Like I shouldn't have done that. But, but sometimes, you know, I'll get on them more. I'll say, you know what? I, you know, I got on you then and I'm on you now. Like you, you're, you're better than that. We expect more. And, and you owe it to your teammates to give a better effort than that. So it, it's, I'm the keeper of the flame. And I, I tell them that, like, I, you know, we're going to hold, we're going to set these standards and, and I have to be legitimate about holding everybody accountable. And in the same sense, like I tell my assistants, like if, if, if we're not, if I'm not doing that or we're not doing that, you know, we, we talk about defending, rebounding, running and executing. If I'm playing guys that aren't doing that, you, you got to be legit with me and tell me. And, and same thing I tell our, our, I tell our guys, like the greatest gift I can give you is the truth. So, and if I'm, if I'm saying something to you or I say I'm going to do something, I don't do it. I want you to come to me, tell me. Cause I don't want it hanging out there. Well, he said we were going to do this or he was going to do it. And he didn't do it. Tell me, cause I want to fix it. Or I want to give you an explanation why I did. So you mentioned post game and, and being very deliberate on how you show up for your guys post game. I've had on Muffet McGraw on here. I've had on Ben Olson who coached for DC United and major league soccer for 10 years. Both Muffet and Ben are very clear in saying that pregame they are, a disaster to, to, to not like they are, they are just running through their head. Like I used to say to Ben Olson, I'm like, yeah, go coach with joy today. He's like, Brian, I used to play with joy when I played for the U S Olympic team and major league soccer, but coaching, this is a whole different ball game. What do you do pregame? What are you thinking pregame? How are you getting yourself ready to make sure that you're where you need to be? As you say to your guys being here now, how do you set your mind and make sure that you're where you need to be for your performance on the sideline? I, I, I really work hard on that. The longer I'm in it, the more I work at it is um, just having myself prepared for possible situations and possible emotions that, that I might get based on the team we're playing, based on where our guys are, where our team is to try to be positive and try as, as Dr. Brennan would always tell me, try to get the, re the, the, um, the response that I want from my actions and my words. So I'm, you know, we, we, we have basketball um, schemes that we have all set up for every situation. Um, and I try, we try to make everything as consistent as possible because we want the guys when they start the game to have a free mind. We, we want our guys to play with a free mind. Like to, we want them to believe that they're prepared. They're ready to react. We never go into a game with a game plan that is steadfast. Like this is what we're going to do. We go into every game not knowing this is how we're going to start. We are ready to adjust. So anything that happens, we, we know – we're ready to adjust. If something doesn't work, we're not panicked because we, we prepared for it not to work. And we tell them the best teams, we're not going to be able to do the same thing all the way through the game, you know? And um, we want their minds to be clear. So our pregame talks are probably the most boring pregame talks you've ever heard because they're the same thing every game to make every game feel the same. So they're comfortable and they're in their minds saying, I, all I got to do is just go play because I'm prepared. My, we have practiced to create habits that will make us successful in the most difficult situations. So, so I, I've I, already, we're, we want them to feel prepared, confident, and have free minds. So I love it. I wrote a book. I'll send you a copy of it. Um, but in it, I talk about the mindset for preparation being different than the mindset for performance. 
And so in preparation, we should be perfectionistic and in performance, we should be adaptable. So I just heard you talk about that. Hey, we want, we do everything we build, we build, and then we got to be able to adjust because you're in a wicked environment in basketball. You're going to have to be adaptable. They throw a zone, a press, what, what have you. The other big one that we talk about is uncomfortable in preparation and comfortable in performance. And I know you use chaos in preparation, all these different environments, but I love how you say, Hey, we want them to be free in their mind and really be comfortable. And then the last one I'll just point to, and I focus on nine in the book is I actually say humble in preparation. You all talk about humble. You got it on your wrist. I actually believe it's one step up over confidence. I think we need to have some arrogance in performance. I think we need to have this inner belief in ourselves and we could probably debate that on another podcast, but this inner unshakable belief in my ability to do my job that I, I labeled arrogance. So I love how you think about thinking about preparation and, and thinking about performance there's a quote that you said in, in an article that I read, which just stood out to me. And then we'll, we'll start to wind down here, which is players play for their teammates and coaches. Actors play for the crowd. I'd love for you to expand on that and, and why you said that and, and how you think about that. Yeah, that's, a, that's a, another one of our big concepts is uh, when, when you go out there on the court, you, your mindset has got to be uh, on your on your teammates you know you have a certain amount of energy and you have a certain level of concentration and when you make a great play and you feel great you feel great about yourself and and your team and that's great you, you got to keep that energy amongst your teammates so whatever you want to do to celebrate has to go to your teammates and not to the crowd and not at your opponent because there's energy to be shared and it's, and we practice that in practice. And if, if you see a guy make uh, a great play and in practice and mumble something to himself or your, your mind is outside of that team and it's outside of what we call 94 by 50 feet. We always say, we say the guy's, we just say 94 by 50 feet. That means all of our concentration is inside those lines on each other, not anywhere outside. You know, during a game, it would manifest itself. Was it, you know, you see a guy, you know, pull up his shirt or somebody makes a play or, you know, shush the crowd. You're, if you're doing that, your mind is away from the team and you're actually expending energy outside of your team. So when you see guys doing that, they're not really in our program, they're pumping up. If you see guys pumping up the crowd, they're not players in our program, they're actors. You're playing to the crowd. But when you see a guy not respond to the crowd, make a great play himself, and then give some type, whether it's just a stare or whether it's a fist pump or a, a yell to his teammates, then he's, in our program, he's a player. He's playing for his coaches and teammates. And you just see that by their act. And we watch film on that and we dissect it. And, you know, freshmen, naturally, they first come in, they do something stupid. You know, they hit a three, they go, you hit a three, you go three, you're, you're pointing to the crowd. Your mind is in the crowd. You hit a three, you turn to your teammates and say, let's get a stop. Your mind is on the next play and it's on your teammates. That's, that's, that's powerful. So we spend a lot of time on that. I love it. I was just watching Gladiator, the movie. I feel like anytime Gladiator, the movie's on, I'm just going to probably end up watching it. There are some <laughs> movies, and that's one of them. And Russell Crowe, you know, Maximus is his, is his character. And he doesn't play to the crowd. He plays to his own morals and his own values. And he's in the Coliseum. He's in the arena. And I, I was just thinking about that as you were talking. I think it's it's so awesome. And then the other thing I'll say is I did my thesis on home court advantage in the NBA and I interviewed NBA players and there were a few takeaways, but one of the key takeaways was that coaches often will deliver different messages at home compared to on the road. And so at home, they might say, Hey, let's be aggressive. Let's take it to them. And on the road, they might say, let's steal this, let's steal this game, or let's make sure we take care of the ball. And as I, as I studied you and your culture, I love how, hey, we stay in a hotel room, uh, even at home, we want us focused, we're eating a certain way, we're hydrating a certain way, we're making sure that we're in 
where we're, we're supposed to be, especially for college kids. Um, and then the secondary probably component to that is it also makes the road more similar. You do it at home, you do it on the road. And as I hear you talk, you want things consistent regardless of the external environment. And I got to tell you, a lot of coaches don't think about that. And it's just a real testament to how you're thinking and how intentional you are. I want to end, and we could talk forever, but I want to end with, um, look, you're going to be 60 this year. Um, you're a public figure. We can look up your birthday. Your birthday is on December 24th. My son's birthday is on December 24th. My mother-in-law's birthday is on December 24th. <laughs> so at another time, you can tell me about what it's like for a kid to have their birthday the day before Christmas. Um, and I can tell you what it's like to be in the hospital having a kid the day before Christmas, but we can talk about that with Glenn Ferrello in, in one of, in a, in a basketball gym sometime. But, <laughs> But here you are, right? 20 years coming up at Villanova. You coached at Hofstra before then. And also as we're recording this, Coach K announces he's, he's going to step away. I mentioned Muffet McGraw, a legendary women's basketball coach. She retired. We got Roy Williams retiring. Sherry Cole, another legendary women basketball coach, stepping away. Different ages, okay? Uh, and then we have Brad Stevens in the NBA saying, hey, I'd rather be in the front office than be a be a head coach. Um, and so we've got coaches, especially during this pandemic, I think sort of saying, Hey, do I want to keep doing this or do I want to maybe do something else? You were just elected into the basketball hall of fame. So I'm curious for you, two part question. How do you think about legacy and how do you think about whatever's next for you? You know, I, you do have a lot of great stuff. We, we're talking about, you know, that road, that home and road thing. Um, that, that is so big for us. Like we, I, I, and I'd love to see your thesis on this. I think there's in, in many ways more pressure in college on the home team because there's far more distractions with kids having students there. And I've always felt that with our guys. And, and we never, ever talk about home court. We, we, and that's why we talk about 94 by 50 feet. It, the game is the game, no matter where it's played, home, away, NSA tournament, neutral court. It's what's going on 94 by 50 feet. Whatever's going on outside those lines doesn't matter. Even if it's good stuff, doesn't matter. Um, I, I love that. I, I'd love to see your, your thesis on that. But anyway, I, talk about legacy. I, I, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know how to answer this yet. I'm not good at this, but I, I don't, I really have no interest in legacy. I, really, I don't care. I, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't want to think about it. I don't really care about it. I, I care about what my relationships are most importantly with my wife and my kids. And then next and my fact, my players and my assistant coaches and people that I've worked with at Villanova, I want, I want those to be authentic relationships, you know, where, where, you know, we try to teach our players like we, we tell the truth to each other. You can, you can have a, uh, a respectful relationship where, you know, the, I'm the coach, you're the player, I tell you what to do, you, you go do it. But in, in your mind, you, you, you really don't believe in it, but you're going to do it because you're respectful. I want you to be honest with me and let's have a good authentic relationship, know that we are honest with each other. Maybe we disagree, that's fine. But I, I, what I care about is those relationships. I want, uh, I always talk to our players about, you know, there's something special when you compete together and, and you're in our program, we don't, when we see each other, we don't have to say anything. We just, there's, there's a look, just look in each other's eyes. We know what we've been through together. We know what we sacrificed together. It's a special bond. And, and those bonds, those relationships are what I care about. You know, a legacy is what everybody else says about you. I, I'll, I'll respect whatever anybody says. So I'll, I'll leave us with this. There's a great book by David Brooks called The Road to Character. And in it, he talks about eulogy versus resume and how a lot of our society focuses on the resume, but we really should be focused on what, what are people going to say about us? What's our eulogy going to be like? And that's our character. And he talks about his own journey and focusing perhaps too much on resume. I will tell you, um, reputation is sometimes a loaded word. I think John Wooden said, focus on character instead of reputation. And John Wooden probably said it better than any of us could possibly <laughs> say it. But I've seen you in a high school gym. I've seen you interact with people when nobody's watching. And I observe that stuff. 
And I've watched you navigate crowds. And as you have become more of a bigger name, let's call it in college basketball, I've gotten to observe you from afar and just sit back and watch. And I saw you at the Players' Tribune and watch how you interact with strangers. And I will tell you from the outside looking in, the way you treat people is the right way. I've talked to other people that know you and, and say that as well. Um, so thank you for being someone who I think lives their values. And I appreciate you giving me the time. And, and I, th I thank Glenn again um, for connecting us. And hopefully I can meet you in person at some point and uh, we can chat about home court advantage or whatever else you want to chat about. Is there anything you want to promote or anything you want to give a megaphone to um, that you're passionate about? I just want to give you uh, some time to do that. No, but thanks. There's kind words. And uh, I, I'll tell you one thing I'm, I'm proud of, and I didn't do it, but you talked about our book, Attitude. Mike Sheridan wrote, wrote the book. He's our sports information director. Um, and you've written books. You know how hard that is. You know, I can, like a coach can't do that. Mike Sheridan wrote the book. And um, it just got listed as one of the top 10 basketball books of all time. I, th I thought that was so cool. And I'm, pr I'm proud for Mike. I mean, I, I'm lucky to be a part of it, but he wrote that thing, man. The dude's awesome. So, you know, a lot of the things we talked about are in there. And, um, and, and, and I love this is, I love talking about this stuff. I can see why Glenn is so hyped up. He, Glenn kept telling me like, you, you got to meet this guy, man. You're going to love this guy. And, and, and I already got a lot of good stuff from our, our talk. Um, I can't promise you I'll quote you all the time, but I'll steal it and use it. Well, I know you're good at stealing. I, I all of your stuff. I'm like, I'm like looking at, you know, thank the good Lord. He made me a wildcat Yankees yeah. play hard, play together, play smart. Okay. I think it was Dean Smith. I'm the same way, man. I think thief of ideas is the way to go. Uh, once a wildcat, always wildcat. The summer camp I used to go to with kids from council rock, which we'll talk about another time. <laughs> it was once a hillman, always a hillman. So look, <laughs> I, I think, I think you've got it covered. I think Absolutely. None of us create anything from scratch. And um, I really appreciate you being on. I'm on Twitter at Brian Levinson, and you can listen to all these conversations at strongskills.co slash podcast. Coach, great to meet you. Thanks for the time and looking forward to talking to you sometime soon. Great talking to you, Brian. Take care, buddy. Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode gem. Try to get the response that I want from my actions and my words. So I'm, you know, we, we have basketball um, schemes that we have all set up for every situation. Um, and I try, we try to make everything as consistent as possible because we want the guys when they start the game to have a free mind. We, we want our guys to play with a free mind. Like to, we want them to believe that they're prepared. They're ready to react. We never go into a game with a game plan that is steadfast. Like, this is what we're gonna do. We go into every game not knowing this is how we're gonna start. We are ready to adjust.